upside down trotted, turning power inside out never sounded so good. I am Scott Mullen, and with me, as always, is Sean Namini. And it's going to sound extra good, because we, we both have a little bit of something-something going on, and ah. I got that deep, sick voice ah. for you. Yeah, week. it's winter, right? I mean, it's cold. Things freeze up and, uh, and stop moving. Kids I don't got, wash like... their hands, you know. But, yeah. but you know what? Let's talk about something positive. So okay. I have another cheesy epiphany uh, as a result of a discussion I had with my four-year-old. We're driving along in, in the rain. Finally, finally, it's raining. And, and I, I, he said, I don't like the rain. I said, why not? He said, because I can't go out and play. And because there's streaks on the window or something. You know, it's bullshit <laughs> four-year-old worries. Hey, that's a good point. And, that's a good point. <laughs> and I said, you know, I explained to him that all life requires water. And, and that it's not possible anywhere in the universe without water. And so, you know, it's, it's actually kind of a gift when it falls. But then I was thinking about it, and I actually talked to some of my students about it. But it's, it's, it's the only thing that makes life possible, or the, the fundamental thing that makes life possible. And it just falls from the sky. And, you know, you read about the Bible when the, when the, the, the people of Israel, they, they were hurting for food. And manna came from heaven to feed them, right? And it was a miracle, well, the most necessary thing from for life in all of the universe falls from the sky. We don't have to program it. We don't have to seed it. We, you know, we just have to live sustainably, and it will fall from the sky miraculously. I would, I would argue. Yeah, that's awesome when you think about that. I mean, uh, it's 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 yet it's it's so simple. It's so simple. Yet, yet uh, we will find a way, and we are uh, to screw that up, <laughs> right? And to take it for granted. <laughs> yeah, that's not a big deal. And then we're totally going to just alter uh, uh, the climate, as far as we know it. And then maybe it'll stop falling from the sky, like it hasn't been for a while. Record drought, but but you know, with Super El Nino on track to uh, to help, kind of like you know, uh, get one in there for the Gipper. Yo soy El Nino. For those of you who don't habla español. El Nino is Spanish for the Nino. Uh, uh, the, maybe, maybe we're heading back in the right direction. Uh, but, but yeah, but you know, one good banner year is, is not enough. Uh, we got to change. What we need we're lots. Doing. We need yeah, lots we, of yeah, yes. Spanish but, but for I love, but the Nino. But, but the simplicity of that—it just—it does, it does. It falls from the sky. Just, just don't fuck it up. Just don't fuck it up. And don't uh, take it for granted. Which and don't take it. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. Simple how are you? And uh, beautiful. How are you doing oh, over well, there okay. in the Mullen bunker? Uh, we, I am down in, the, in, in Bunker, uh, Mullen Bunker, the house of horrors for podcasting. Uh, that's that's where I'm po- podcasting. I'm sure Sean's area is probably nice and quiet right now, and that's fine. Uh, but whether it's the construction next door, uh, the gas furnace blowing above, or the solicitors at the door, my promise to you, listener, is a show chock full of distracting sounds, untimely interruptions, and an ever-increasing in his level of irritation until he blows his top, Scott, and that's me. And I got two dogs now at my side that are quiet for now. Uh, should we get to the show? And maybe we'll get through it without incident. So far, so good. UpsideDownTrotten.com. That is our website. Uh, when you're there, download the show, check out the special features, receive news and updates on all the many exciting things that we are doing. You can email us directly to UpsideDownTrodden at gmail.com if you'd like to. We'd love to hear from you. Why don't you leave some comments for us? We'd love to hear from you. Post your comments on the website. You can look for the community bulletin board and feel free to share anything that's on your mind. We sure appreciate your feedback. Uh, go to the gear page 
on our webpage. Is that what it's called? Is it a gear page? Is it a sub page? The gear section? What do we call it? What, what are the kids? I think you've got that. The kids okay. don't call it anything. They don't? They just, all right, th then just go get some gear. How about that? When you're on our website, go get some gear. You'll be able to find a bunch of hot deals on uh, on some killer upside down Tron t shirts. And right now, when you visit the gear page, you can shop for those shirts. And during the checkout process, enter promo code MYSTERY. Ha ha ha! And when you buy a shirt, you will receive a second mystery t-shirt for free. What does that mean? It means you buy the Upside Down Tron t-shirt you want, and for no extra cost, we'll send you an additional Upside Down Tron t-shirt. You won't know uh, what kind of shirt it's going to be. You won't know what the color is, what the size is. Uh, you won't know anything about it. We can't tell you any of those details, because if we did, then it would no longer be a mystery. All you need to know is that you'll be getting two awesome Upside Down Tron t-shirts for the price of one. What a savings. What a value. What a mystery. Uh, so how mysterious. About, it is. Uh, uh, our, our deals move in mysterious ways. <laughs> no? All right. Uh, it, no. Yeah, it's early. I, I mean, I just got up, man. I'm, I'm, I got my coffee here. I'm like I'm running at 30% yeah, occupancy. Um, anyway, there we go. Doing better. iTunes listing. Okay. In addition to the website, you can find us on iTunes. And when you hit the subscribe button, our shows are going to automatically come to you twice a month. You're welcome for that. We are on KBOO. It's a radio station here in Portland. Just go to kboo.fm slash upside downtrodden. You can find our show there as well. And KBOO is fantastic. They got a ton of stuff. They're an independent member-supported, non-commercial, volunteer-powered community radio station. Uh, they do a lot of the same stuff we're trying to do. They embody equitable social change. They want to share knowledge. They want to foster creativity foster creativity by delivering locally rooted and diverse music culture news and opinions and they've got a commitment to the voices of oppressed and underserved communities kind of sounds like our mission statement visit kboo.fm today to learn more uh, of course the politicus.com we love damn and cherry out there in brooklyn new york doing a great job with his site give them a little listen to looky at and uh, our our sponsor drinkforgood.com they're fantastic. Uh, they've got these killer cause bottles and awesome shirts as well. Uh, these bottles are great. We told you about them before. I'll say it again. Uh, they are uh, reusable water bottles. They're BPA-free. They're made of 100% recycled aluminum. They're made with union labor in Washington State. And uh, currently, they're the only metal water bottles uh, that are being made in the U.S. as far as we know. So check them out. They're fantastic. Now, they've also got that deal, and they continue to give us that deal, which is super cool. Uh, when you're in step two of checkout with them... Uh, put save15, S-A-V-E-1-5, into the promo code area there, and you'll get 15% off your order. You are welcome for that. Uh, Sean, I understand you've got a guest just worthy cause endeavor that you want to share with listener. I do, and it's the zindproject.org, teaching a people's history, as you well know, Scott. I love that book. One of my uh, favorites. Zin's A People's History really kind of pulls back the veil on you know what's traditionally taught in textbooks and and in songs and in propaganda and and then balancing that with what actually happened <laughs> right and now now this is mostly for teachers you know they have teaching materials and stuff but I, I'll, I'll get to why i think it's important nonetheless um really quickly a quote right away it says i can understand pessimism but i don't believe in it it's not simply a matter of faith but of historical evidence not overwhelming evidence just enough to give hope because for hope, we don't need certainty, only possibility. Beautiful, Clark. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So 
they have teaching materials. They have support. They have uh, about that you can you can go by theme, by time period. Uh, a little bit about it about the Zen Education Project promotes and supports the teaching of a people's history in middle and high school classrooms across the country. Based on the lens of history highlighted in Howard Zinn's best-selling book, A People's History of the United States, the website offers free, downloadable lessons and articles organized by theme, time period, and reading level. The Zen Education Project is coordinated by two nonprofit organizations, Rethinking Schools and Teaching for Change. Uh, and just, just a little bit more here, their goal is to uh, introduce students to a more accurate, complex, and engaging understanding of United States history than is found yeah. in traditional textbooks and curricula. Not yeah. polished, not one-sided. Raw. So maybe you're not a teacher, and you probably have good reasons for that. But <laughs> yeah, uh, if, maybe maybe you want to live a normal, healthy, well-adjusted life. If you know a child, if your child is of that age, you can download this stuff and go through it in the summertime. Hey, how about no summers off? How about you're still going to learn because learning is what's important. You don't associate it with school. Uh, if you if you if you have a child in a of, of that age group, contact their teacher and say, hey. Just, just thought maybe you could check, check this out. I don't know if you have any use for it or, or not, but just promote it. Uh, it's good stuff. And look at it yourself. I mean, Scott, you read uh, the, the book, but if maybe you don't have time to read. Go on here, get a couple assignments, do them yourself. Educate yourself. It's yeah. important. Yeah, even even a little bit is 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 uh, it goes a long way. It's it's very very powerful. I mean, I think I mean the 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 big thing about the book really is. Is what if I tried to, and this is what Zen did, is 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 I want to try to go back and be as truthful as possible, but also from the perspective of the different people that were sort of living under history, the people that were uh, being oppressed, repressed, you know, um, um, conquered, what have you. It's like, you know, so much of history is about, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and it's like, you know, like from the standpoint of, uh, oh, and these are these are the people we want you to think are important. And these are the things that we want you to believe they did. Uh, and this is this is how it really went down, you know, versus, well, hold on. You know, if you talk to different people, you talk there to different... Multiple you know, perspectives on how... You bet. Happen. And so why do we always sort of like show this one? And it's it's by design, you know, versus like, how about, how about uh, History of America from the perspective of the indigenous that were here Ouch. before, you no, know, we don't like that story. I, I know. And that's why it's not in a traditional textbook. As we sit you know? on their land in our air conditioned homes with our culture right. spewing <laughs> right. all over it. Well, now hold on, Scott, it's in the textbook. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, well, let me take that back. All right. So the textbook that I had, had uh, a little uh, like footnote about sitting bowl, for instance, like, so there, and there's this tiny little picture in the corner of one page of a, I don't know, 450 page American history book. And there's like, here it is. That's all you need to know right there. That little thing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, we're just going to get over that. And get, now we're going to get to. He was a guy. <laughs> he was this dude and this thing kind of happened. But we don't want to talk about that. Wait, no, maybe we do. And actually upon further investigation come to find there's actually a lot to learn. And that's what Zinn dedicated this whole entire book to. So it's fascinating. because And as, as someone that that understood American history from the point that uh, modern day America, the American have you believe it. Right. Then going back now as an adult and reading this it's like i can see that day in school when i was learning about this and i go uh this was not what i was taught this is this is a completely different angle on this i mean i Anathema, remember the spanish american war but you know but wait, hold on this is totally different so it's fascinating yeah yeah and to your i love that no summers off well 
yeah, it's not just about school. It's, yeah, like you say, it's about learning. And, and when, do, do, why do you want to ever stop learning? You why would you ever want? Whether you get it from a book, whether you get it from you know um, uh, a television program, whether you get it just by being outside and experience it, like always, be open to that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It is fun, and you know what else is fun, Sean? History, and you're a history nerd. So what do you want to say about it? Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Well, you wrote something on here. What? Uh, does it always have to be his story? Can it be her story sometimes? And, yeah. Oh, is that? So, <laughs> so, that's smart. So what I put is, is it is his story and her story. It's our story. It's oh, you one upped me. Why didn't I? Oh, I two upped you because oh, it's it. the story. It's the story oh. of the unfolding of events in the universe since Show the beginning, off. the Big Bang for you rational folks out there. Uh, creation for the not so rational, but it's it's been a single chain of cause and effect uh, involving seemingly incalculable incalculable amounts of space and time, all inexplicably linked together. It's also important to realize that history happens every day, so it's imperative that we pay attention to global events as they unfold in order to understand how the entire story continues to unfold, and most importantly, to understand our place in the unfolding story and how we might influence it. So let's allow Walt Whitman to express this view far more eloquently than you or I ever could with his poem, O Me, O Life. Now, it's a poem, and he's a transcendentalist, but this really speaks to what I'm talking about with, with how important history is. So he says, O Me, O Life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself, for who more foolish than I, and who more faithless, of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plotting and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined, the question, O oh me, so sad recurring, what good amid the amid, what good amid these, <laughs> O oh me, O oh life? And the answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. So th- the story's rife, that with horrible tragedy and amazing acts of inspiration. It's a complex and sometimes difficult story to digest, but it's our story, and we must take ownership, because someone will write it, might as well be us. Right. Right. And writing that story, is that is that another definition of what history is? Is when something happens, you know, you're you're taking note of it so that you can share it to those who come after? And so you can understand it in context of other things that happen in other places and in other times involving other people. Uh, so so here, let's kick it off this way, because I'm going to kick it off with this episode, if you would indulge Thank me. Thank you. How I kick off every history class the first time I meet with students. Cause oh, is this going to be like being in your class? Are we going to have that experience of being in Mr. Namney's room right now? I can't wait. Let's see what he does here. Keep your phones wait. away. And, uh, uh, but, uh, it's no just, it's just a text. I'm not bothering anybody. Okay, so that's how it's going to be. Y'all want to play. Okay, then. So, so here, here it's because it's a hard sell. I'm a history nerd. I love it, but not everybody does. But I think if you, if you can, you know, understand what it is and how important it is. So if, I always tell everybody, if I, if I want to understand you as a person, the best way for me to do that is to understand how you got to be that person. The first thing is, is, so when you look at a person, you have to look at their, the major events 
that shaped their personality and their outlook and, and what path did they take to get to their current position. And the same is true for a society, a global society, a community or whatever. If you want to understand how it got to be the way that it is, you have to look at the major events in it and understand how they shaped the present. And if you do that, you have a better understanding. Furthermore, you have a better understanding of what's coming because you can predict the future. And as an example, expect labor strife in China in five to ten years. Expect it. People will fight for labor rights. There will be riots. There will be right. people who die. And how do we know that? Because there's only it so many. Before <laughs> every time, every yeah, right. single time a civilization industrializes, it goes down the exact same way: utter exploitation. Until finally, people say, "Fuck this! This is bullshit." They fight for it. The people don't want to give it up, of course, because they like paying you two dollars a day in unsafe conditions for twenty-hour shifts. Oh yeah, good for profit. It's great for profit. But eventually people come together, they fight, the, the, the ownership concedes a little, and then there's, there's a give and take. And so that's going to happen in China, and that's because there's only a few ways it can go. So you can predict sort of the way things are going. So it's, it's really important. Uh, finally, uh, it's not a standalone subject, right? History is not just like history, it's its own subject. Everything has a history. As I mentioned, individuals have a history. Um, science has a history. MTV has a history. Uh, uh, any yeah, any they company, used to play music. <laughs> yes, they used to. <laughs> oh yes. my god! And, yeah, and, yeah, it's true. It's and to true. understand the crap that they are now, you have to understand all of the events in their history, along with the context of of the society that they were in at the time. So uh, it's it it's it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Uh, everything and everyone has a history, and each is unique and fascinating. Even things have histories, right? Like like inanimate objects have a history, right? When you think about like a rare Stradivarius, you know, or you think about... Oh, I love thinking about that. <laughs> well, it's I a, do. A and, penny. and honestly, listener, who doesn't? Don't we always think about rare musical instruments? Isn't that what we spend our time doing? You <laughs> know, a penny. Or, or like an old, you know, cult from back in the Western days. And who knows who owned that and who and killed that, who with that? That's you know, right. like whatever, but like... Things things have history a too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and then what they mean to people can have history, right? Uh, or even like uh, thinking about like what what uh, what did like cats mean to the Egyptians? You know, back then, right. like like there's a whole history in, in there, you know, of itself. And and uh, there's and history I don't know. within history. There is a history within it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It is. Like so I said, it's ubiquitous. So let's get blitzed. No, no, let's <laughs> not do that. Let's not do. It's too early in the morning for that. Anymore. Yeah, and, and uh, Sean, it's very funny. Uh, I looked at the show notes for this episode, 129, the bane of my existence. Uh, and I noticed that you and I both were kind of going one direction, too, which was uh, not, not no, the band, not them. Millennials, not, not the band. And and There's uh, other phrases involving the, those right, words, yes. one uh, direction. So, uh, but uh, where, where we were talking about this, uh, history is written by the victors. I mean, that's a common phrase you've heard before uh very often uh miscredited to winston churchill and that's not true it's actually walter benjamin he also wrote an essay uh, entitled uh, theses plural on the philosophy of history which is fascinating um and to sort of talk about uh his version of it i mean we can talk about that if we have some, some time but i really thought it was uh, george orwell who highlights the point the point being history is written by the victors in this uh, 1944 As I Please essay that Orwell wrote for the Tribune. And if I can just give you just a little taste. Oh, please do. If, if that's my okay. Me too. I really do. Um, so this is from, from uh, he wrote a lot of things for the Tribune, but this is from one section of one thing that he wrote. He said, this kind of thing is happening all the time. Out of the millions 
of instances which must be available, I will choose one which happens to be verifiable. During part of 1941 and 1942, when the Luftwaffe was busy in Russia, the German radio uh, regaled its home audiences with stories of devastating air raids on London. Now, we are aware those raids did not happen. But what use would our knowledge be if the Germans conquered Britain? For the purposes of a future historian, did those raids happen or didn't they? The answer is, if Hitler survives, they happened. And if he falls, <laughs> they didn't happen. So with innumerable other events of the past 10 or 20 years, and again, this was in the 40s when he wrote this, uh, if the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, is that, is that a genuine document? Did Trotsky plot with the Nazis? How many German airplanes were shot down in the Battle of Britain? Does Europe welcome the new order? In no case do you get one answer which is universally accepted because it's true. But in each case, you get a number of totally incompatible answers, right. one of which is finally adopted as a result of a physical struggle. History <laughs> is written by the winners. Yes. Wow, winning. Which is fascinating. And I was like, oh, that's v how very succinct and what an easy way to say that. But it's like and, – and it didn't just happen during World War II. This it's is been, always happening. As this soon is as we still, could write – Yes, and and in 2015, 2016, Thank you, Samaria. this is alive and well. Yes, so uh, and my the angle that I was taking on it is then how is that maintained through further propaganda, which Orwell also sniffed out as as the the tool of the winners to not just because it's not just enough to write it, then you have to maintain it, and that's where the textbooks come in, and that's where holidays like Columbus Day, right? So right, right, you like to call you that genocide day. <laughs> And on the yes. Zen site, it says, you know, that let's end Columbus Day because it's fucking bullshit. Yeah. But it's, it's the propaganda. And look at how long that lasts. They write it out like, oh, Columbus was great. And then they have to perpetuate it over it's centuries. It's on calendars right now. Yes. It's still on fucking centuries. calendars. Centuries. Like, Until now, nobody even asks the question. Banks close. Banks right. close for this today. Right. It's insane. Why is Columbus famous? Because he settled over to uh, Puerto Rico. And we have a lot of Puerto Ricans here. <laughs> Not only when it's happening, but then after, when it becomes history, we have to mythicize it. Didn't you even say, like, talking about Lincoln as an example, that, like, the myth of somebody becomes almost more powerful than who they were at the time than when they were actually living, doing whatever it was they were doing? Like, and the myth that Lincoln has become is probably greater and more powerful than what he was. And I don't even know how much of who we think he is. He was actually that. Who knows? It goes right into uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a philosopher uh, in, in Germany, uh, 19th century. And uh, he, he's kind of like the one that you can't really classify. He's not really a school of philosophical thought. He's just kind of like the wild boy out there, if I understand him correctly. You know, Nietzsche says, out of chaos comes order. Oh, blow it out your ass, Howard. Um, and he wrote a thing called On the Use and Abuse of History for Life. And what you're talking about is what he called a monumental method for <laughs> historicizing something. So he says, those who find no inspiration in daily life look to history monumentalize it for inspiration and motivation. They use it as a driving force, in other words. Political yeah, like historians... The, like the modern-day neocon GOP with, with Reagan. Reagan. Absolutely. Oh, my God. It's just like, oh, give it a rest. The guy was a fucking puppet. He didn't even really have the power. I mean, he right. was just like a figurehead for... But that's what they miss. They miss a, a, a likable, you know dopey figurehead that that big business and big industry and transnational corporations can control again as easily and get away with it as easily as they did with Reagan in the 80s. But I know that's what they're really opining, but anyway. Right, right. And so he says for uh, that um, how can the past truly be replicated by monumentalizing? Can the greatness that once was become again in some fashion? Not unless we distort the past in order to gain the same effect. 
What do we mean? Making we America <laughs> great again. Right. That's right. Uh, right, that means it must be really bad now, and it was better then, and you have to want that, and then I'm right. the only guy that can do it. And, and he even says, we'll make great, we will be great by making greatness exist once again. So he says there's no repeating history, because everything happens in its own context, even if it's similar. Uh, and when we try to repeat history, all we end up doing is destroying history through distortion, alteration, reinterpretation. Mm. All we mm. end up really doing is creating a mythic fiction, especially if we create a monumental history without antiquarian or critical methods. Those are the other two methods. So the antiquarian, just again, if you'll indulge me, who, yes. admire, who, who admires the past and wants to preserve it, looks back at the amazing lives of the past and feels part of that great history. He inherits the virtues of the past. And that's a key thing. That It's like, I'm a part of it. That's just a sample of the things the capitalistic system has given us in only 160 years. Before signing up, you boys ought to try a little taste of doctorism's formula. Uh, he is tradition embodied. Nietzsche says the most valued type of the antiquarian way of doing history is the one who reveres the modest past and the simple life. Um, for they, as heirs of the noblest past, have a real historical sense. So this is just, you're, you're like preserving yeah, it yeah. and putting your part in it and, and then passing it along to the, to the next generation, as, as you alluded to earlier. But then he talks about the critical method. And it has to accompany the monumental and the antiquarian methods of historiography. What he says is, to be critical gives us the chance to give oneself, as it were, a past after the fact, out of which we may be descended in opposition to the one from which we are descended. We create a second nature of ourselves, and in doing so, we come to realize that first nature was at one time or another once the second nature and that very victorious second nature becomes a first nature so that's that speaks to that cause and effect chain that i was talking about since right. the very beginning it's like well this is a cause okay well something caused that okay well let's go back to that oh this was the cause of everything else but something caused that and that then first cause and second cause and yeah and, and, and you know what and, and as i'm sitting here listening to that now i'm like okay shit i probably should share a little bit about walter benjamin other than he's the one that said you know history belongs to the victors um so there's the there's this uh the modernism lab at yale university that that briefly uh, pericles lewis talked briefly about that theses on the philosophy of history and as you're sitting there sharing about nietzsche i'm like all right i'll share this i know i know we're pushed for time we're always pushed for time yes we are. but uh, but um uh pericles is talking about uh benjamin's take on the paul klee painting angelus novus from 1920 and i'll just tell you this uh, in in it's um uh, Benjamin was interpreting uh, its central figure of this painting uh, as the angel of history whose face is turned toward the past. And it says, uh, where we perceive a chain of events, he sees one single uh, catastrophe which keeps piling wreckage upon wreckage and hurls it in front of his feet. The angel would like to stay, awaken the dead, and make whole what has been smashed. But a storm is blowing from paradise. It has got caught in his wings with such violence that the angel can no longer close them. The storm irresistibly propels him into the future to which his back is turned while the pile of debris before mm. him grows skyward. The storm is what we call progress, which is fascinating, like listening to this. And then very briefly, Pericles just breaks it down and he says, in Benjamin's interpretation of the painting, the angel is looking at us, the human beings who move through time, much as F. Scott Fitzgerald's modern Americans in their boats are ceaselessly born into the past at the end of The Great Gatsby, if you remember that awesome book. And great movie, Robert Redford. <clears throat> Benjamin, not the new one, the old one with Redford, yes, goddammit. Yes. Benjamin's angel of history is irresistibly propelled into the future. History, 
would be the attempt to make sense of the continual passage of time, but history is defeated by the same force that makes it impossible to fulfill all our dreams of what Fitzgerald calls an orgastic future. Time, progress, history are all forces that constantly transform our lives and that we cannot halt or even adequately represent. I'm so glad you added that. Okay, you're welcome. See, and, and this is what I love about it, is that it, it's, it's very dramatic. There's, there's no story to me, like the real story, because it actually happened. I, I know I said this before, but the American Revolution. If you, wrote, if you wrote a movie about that, it would be an amazing, dramatic, like so many twists and turns and almost didn't have it. And, and right. uh, yeah. you know, yeah. a bunch of fucking farmers overcoming the greatest empire on the planet. That's a it's an amazing story because it actually happened. We're just like, meh. Bruckheimer will produce. Yeah, fuck, man. <laughs> it, and just Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg will star. Socrates being forced to drink hemlock because all he had to do was say, no, I'll, I'll stop talking. But, but he was like, no, fuck you. I'll drink your hemlock because it's more important. The ideas are more important. That's an amazing story. Um, and, and so it is. It's very poetic. It's very dramatic. It's action-packed. It's, it's everything you want, to, want it to be. Uh, should we should we break this down with a little uh, segment? Let's do it. I love these segments. This is I'm so glad you did this. Well, why don't you introduce this next one? One of our favorite pieces that we love to do, and we're going to do it again, is is uh, when we take a story uh, of or by the past, uh, and and we talk about it again because it's already been produced, and now we're talking about it again. So we like to call it the news reused. Hear it here again, first. Sean, what do you got? From the Houston Press, Thursday, July 9th, 2015. Don't mess with Texas, even when they're messing with the rest of us. So this began in 2010. Uh, The school board in Texas began to rewrite some social studies. School board, Texas. It's huge, because everything's bigger in Texas. That's true. Uh, And so they were going to rewrite the social studies curriculum. And they were writing it very politically. They were trying to downgrade. Well, I'll, I'll let the... Because now, five years later, this is from Thursday, July 9th, as I said, 2015. Now, it's the, the textbooks are finally hitting the schools. And this is, this is a big story because Texas is the second largest buyer of, of textbooks. And That's so big textbook, business, right? Yeah. That's and so how, whatever they set oftentimes determines the textbook that the rest of us get. Very, very insidious i would say because they know the impact that they have and they're basically rewriting history you stupid ignorant son of a bitch dumb bastard for everybody not just for texas right uh so uh now that the new social studies textbooks are set to start hitting texas classrooms this fall it's time to remember why that's an alarming move the new textbooks were drafted according to standards set up by the state board of education back in 2010 this is the same board that tried and failed to kick darwin out of the science textbook curriculum in 2009 not good but they got back in the ring with social studies standards the following year. The social studies textbooks that were cobbled together based on these guidelines are, shall we say, a bit controversial on a number of points. So they give you five points. Um, and uh, these are, the, these are the, the biggest problems. So okay. number five, the picking and choosing. In the new textbook, students will be required to read the inaugural address by Confederate President Jeff Davis. That's fine, of course. People should read the Davis speech. How else will they get a f- full view of history? The problem is that students will not have to read the infamous speech given by his vice president, Alexander Stevens. The Davis speech alludes to slavery, delicately, never even mentioning the word, 
And that backs up the contention that these people were trying to say that slavery wasn't why the Civil War happened. It was uh, states' rights. Jesus Christ, I met some dumb bastards in my time, but you outdo them all. Get over there! But if you read his VP's speech, it says, Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite ideas. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man. That, oh, I'm sorry. That slavery, subordination to the superior race... Thank you, much better. Now we're turning in. ...is his natural and normal condition. So yeah, in this case, having read one speech given at the Confederate inauguration while skipping the other is kind of a big deal since it changes the entire slant of what the war was about. Number four, the KKK <laughs> and Jim Crow it's laws. A, yeah. It's kind of a big deal. It is. <laughs> uh, the KKK and Jim Crow laws have been revised right out of the history books. And I'll, I'll, I'll just summarize this. What they tried to do was to make it like, oh, it wasn't that bad. So all the, all the stories about how bad the uh, segregated schools were uh, in comparison to their white counterparts... Um, that's just been written right out, just completely. Uh, number three, the Civil War wasn't even about slavery, so that speaks to that other one. Uh, number two, the whole segregation thing wasn't a big deal, so that speaks to that as well. And then, of course, the biggest and most alarming thing I already mentioned, uh, the textbooks will end up being used by school children across the country. Boo! So, right. uh, So thanks, we're going to have uh, future Texas. generations that... That uh, in as much as as it's more accurate when we were uh, educated, because of course it wasn't totally accurate then either. But but can we agree that this is going to make it even more inaccurate and and come at a cost? This is bad. It's moving farther away from the truth. Absolutely. Well, somebody's truth. (laughs) From um, scientist, professor and author Jared Diamond. Um, All around badass. The worst mistake in the history of the human race by wow. Jared Diamond. Quite a quite a claim. And so when I saw that, I was kind of like, you know, I was like, well, I got to find something. And, and He's going to have to write a follow up when Trent, when uh, Trump <laughs> becomes president. Well, well, I don't know. As bad as that would be, that would be, be the second worst mistake. Well, let me let me hear so. what this mistake okay, is. I, I think then... so. As bad as that might be, I'm actually. I think. I think uh, Professor Diamond might have gotten it right. And so Let's hear it. this is fascinating, and I read the whole entire thing, and I highly recommend it for you too, guys. It's only a few pages, not too bad, but uh, I'll go down to the bottom. I can't read the whole thing for you. I'll go to the end, and I'll give you the fucking end. I'll give you it. You're going to give it to us in the end. In the end, this is what he said. At this point, it's instructive to recall the common complaint that archaeology is a luxury, concerned with the remote past, and offering no lessons for the present. Archaeologists studying the rise of farming have reconstructed a crucial stage at which we made the worst mistake in human history. Forced to choose between limiting population or trying to increase food production, we chose the latter and ended up with starvation, warfare, tyranny, so on and so forth. His whole entire point, and it's brilliantly articulated and and well-supported, is that that's the biggest mistake of modern agriculture. Because, uh, you know, the, the common refrain, I even heard it in my sustainable fucking gardening class, and I wish I knew this before because I'd be like, excuse me, pardon <laughs> me, that's not entirely true. Right. Where it's taken on, on as faith that, oh, we're better off now. We're, modern agriculture is the miracle that's been able to feed more people and blah, 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 blah. You know, like, uh, we're better off, ag- you know, compared to hunter and gatherers and no leisure time and no this, right, and he addresses right. all of this. And destroys it, and is like, and 
after going through, I go, well, actually, there's a case to be made, a very strong case for this. Uh, and that hunter and gatherers did have it better. And it, when it was all hunter and gatherers, pre-modern agriculture, by the way, we were bigger, we were stronger, we were healthier. Uh, by the tune of like six inches on average. I don't know if people right. know that. He's got evidence to back that up. We were getting a better, well-diverse meal. Uh, an average of uh, between 75 and 100 different types of wild plants that you would forage for. That living had longer, all I'm these sure. nutrients that would help you fight off illness better. You're living longer lives. And also, reproduction-wise, as a hunter and gatherer, I'm just kind of like going off what I remember from the article. There's so much here. Please don't think this is all it is. Um, you're only reproducing an average of uh, like one child every four years and very often only a couple of children, not tons of children that farming Makes allowed to happen sense. because you needed them to have hands in the field. But you right? can't have too many mouths in the hut. But the, Correct. Consuming and with more hands in the field, there's more people to eat that need food to eat and then you got to produce more food and then you, that means you got more people to work the fields and then it was sort of right. self-fulfilling like process. Like cancer, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And our now uh, friend of the show and former two-time guest, Will Parnell, uh, up at Superior Man, when he and I were chatting a little bit, he's, you know, he was really hammering population as being like th- the, the problem. And I'll bet you, I know Will has... It's a big uh, one. It's a big one. And we're, we're going to do a show on it at some point. But this is really interesting. And specifically, why is population a problem? Well, if you go farther upstream, not just that population's a problem, okay, but why? How did that come to be? Here's what uh, Professor Diamond would submit is the reason why. And that this, we had the opportunity to choose which path to be more sustainable and to keep our numbers in check. So you don't need to produce as much because there's less people. But now there's so much more people, you have to produce as much. And that comes at a tremendous price. Now we're, you know, cutting down uh, a rainforest for farmland, you know, these great big, you know, regulators of of, of our atmosphere. Right. You know, exactly. and, And there's climate change and people are, people are starving. This is also a system, by the way, of form by those with power. They talk about how hunter and gatherers, it's a much more equal society. And, they, and he explains that versus a farming society, which is, you know, if I'm the king, I don't have to get out and work. Someone else is going to work for me. But if you're a hunter and gatherer and you're in the tribe, everybody has to participate. Everybody has to give something. So it's much more fair. But anyway, so, so this, this is one of the biggest reasons. And probably, certainly, if you have something that is such a huge fucking blunder, switching to mass agriculture at the expense of a hunter-gatherer and we choose, you know, feed more people as opposed to limit the amount of people we have and you marry that with the type of creatures that we are and now with the technology that we have, boy, do you get a clusterfuck. And you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna step this up and... Do it! Bl- dial bl- it up! So, Let's so go to 10! Jared Diamond obviously gave his mistake. We're going to talk about three mistakes that, that we, or, or events in history that we think uh, have play a large role or that were impactful in the global We're going to do another right? segment. This is another segment. Yes, we're going to do the Holy Trinity. Three influential historical events or periods that really contributed to the world we have today, for better or for worse. You want to go first, or... Oh, do I ever. Uh, so, <clears throat> so here's what I want to say. Uh, for my three influential historical events or periods that really either contributed to the world we have today, for better or worse, or did not... Well, I guess, no, th- that really contributed to the world that we have today, for better or for worse. I see how you wrote it. Okay, good. Uh, so, how about this? The symbolism of the signing of the Magna Carta. So I'm not going necess- I'm Elaborate. not going to necessarily say the signing of the Magna Carta per se. I know there's a lot of schools of thought on this, but as I did a little bit more digging and tried to triangulate what I was reading, 
um, that that uh, if it was initially between you know uh, noblemen, right, the barons and the king, and that's trying a classic to story, yes, right, that's what you hear. Yes, that's what we're told. Um, but that it really wasn't so much about the common man or uh, individuals that didn't own property per se, but that it started the idea mm-hmm. that you could even you could even have a bargain or an agreement of some kind uh, between a king and anybody or anything else. A king, a divine entity, a, a, a living god at the time, if you the will. king right? and all, any of his subjects. Right, Because exactly. they're all his subjects, ultimately, at the end of the day. Some well, are yeah. more valued than others, but they're right. all still his subjects. And, and they but, do what the fuck they're told. Okay, but when you have a, an agreement that says, uh, yes, you do what the fuck you're told, however, uh, we're, we're going to negotiate. It's almost like they came to the table. It's a union. It's like, hey. That's right. We're going to bargain with our boss here, the king, and say, ah, hi, uh, just so you know, we'd like to claim some things as our rights. And uh, this is our way of just sort of checking you a little bit on this. So we, we'll work with you, but we need X, Y, Z, what have you. And so, and I know that that kind of, you know, initially got dumped and uh, left for dead. And then it was resurrected at the end of the uh, 13th century uh, in another form. And, so, and then, you know, was it uh, Henry III that took some of the shit out and then changed it and then put it back in? And you know, so it's been a long time coming. And now, for all intents and purposes, it's probably more of just a symbol of the beginning of that type of dialogue is what I'm trying to say. Is, you know, but I think it's an important symbol. And in as much as it, it even had any real effect uh, at the time, it probably had a little. But the symbol that you could even start that discussion, have that discussion, and yes, you're entitled, even as a commoner, to have that discussion. You're goddamn right you are. So I like that. Uh, number two, the modernization of the petroleum industry. This is one I would say uh, is for worse. You bet. Yeah. Please give me the bloody light. Let me get out of here. Give me the blood, Lord, and let me get away. So uh, I know, and again, lots of history here too, but I'm going to specifically jump on at the point that we get to Edwin Drake's drilling of a 69-foot well. Edwin Dick. Oh, whoa. Uh, in 1859 on Oil Creek near Titusville, Pennsylvania, and he did that for the Seneca Oil Company. That was groundbreaking, no pun intended, uh, for... <laughs> for the, what we have now come to learn, the modern oil age, uh, and it's certainly uh, the American power and figuring out, oh my God, you know, we can actually tap into this resource in this manner using this technology that until then really hadn't been available, that now was available, that was about to be wide produced, um, widespread. Boy, are we now. And, and we're paying for it. And I would, I would submit now so much of what it is that isn't working for us uh, and for the planet has to do with oil. You know, and so much of the problems now of, of and this, this goes right along, by the way, with what Jared Diamond was talking about, too, you know, has to do with the, I have to now have this resource in order to continue. I am not, this, this civilization is not sustainable. And if you press the button and there was no oil tomorrow, watch how fast everything, you know, then you can't run your, your cats to, to knock down uh, forests. You can't fly your planes to, you know, intimidate uh, lesser nations. You know, you can't do these things. Without oil, you have to have oil. It is like the lifeblood of of, of the war machine, of the oppression yeah. machine. Yeah, so awful. I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I hate most people. Um, and, you know, and and again, well, well, then, then you're gonna say without oil, all the things. Yeah, you know, they found a way before we can find a way after. Okay, <laughs> right. we and I'm willing to give up. <laughs> That's right. I'm willing to give up my MTV. For no oil, okay? I don't want my MTV. I want no oil. Don't and that's C. Millennials. That was an old song uh, from the MTV. 80s. Yeah, that's right. That's Mark Knopfler in Dire Straits. Anyway, okay. Uh, number three uh, for the influential historical event and period that really contributed to the world that we have today, and this would definitely be for better. 
Battleground at Storm King Mountain. And I was kind of like really digging around looking for something that was uh, kind of a monumental moment in history, environmentally speaking. And this is something that really was awesome because um, it, it wasn't always this way, right? Environmental law, it's not always been around. There hasn't always been, you know, an Earth Day. Uh, and so NRDC was talking about this. In its emergence, uh, you can trace uh, to many large cultural and historical forces transforming the nation since World War II. The immediate cause was small enough, right? The announcement in 1963 of plans to build a power plant on Storm King Mountain near the Hudson River. With the explosive growth, oh, more population, Jared Diamond, of (laughs) New York City and its suburbs and the proliferation of home air conditioning and other major appliances, Con Ed wanted this plant to meet its customers' spiraling, increasing energy needs. Though many residents of the nearby town of Cornwell on Hudson wanted the Con Ed plant because it would mean jobs and a boost to the local economy, a few longtime residents of the area, led by Wall Street lawyer Stephen Duggan and his wife Beatrice Smokey Duggan, launched a campaign to halt it. Storm King Mountain, the surrounding Hudson Highlands, and indeed the entire Hudson River Valley, held a special place in American culture as the distinctively American wilderness venerated to the nation's earliest writers such as James Fenimore Cooper, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and Washington Irving. So this story goes on and on to talk about how it all came to be. And there was no precedent until this. But the short, or, the short end of it is that they won. They were able to uh, get it to court. And uh, they were able to create a legal landmark. So for the first time, a conservation group led by the Duggins had been permitted to sue to protect the public interest. Although Scenic Hudson had no economic interest in Storm King, the usual basis for standing till that point, the court ruled that it nonetheless could be construed to be an injured party and was entitled to judicial review of an agency ruling. The Storm King battle would be fought for another decade before Con Ed was finally forced, forced, forced with abusers to abandon plans for the plant. They won't stop. You have to force them. Uh, But in 1965, the ruling remained a significant legal precedent, helping to establish the legitimacy of environmental issues and opening the way for lawyers and the courts to play a highly significant role in the manner of land use and environmental battles. And as we, Sean, talked about this last night, that really all, all law is is the powered or perceived authority or claimed authority's way of enforcing what it wants. So can you beat it at its own game? And here's an example where they did. Okay. Yes, I guess can. I have to run through your little uh, game here. Well, how about what, what a little bit of uh, uh, grassroots... And, uh, and well, and some funding and some really hotshot lawyers and people with a heart and conscience coming together, doing something that had not until that time been done. And so and since then, you know, I mean, Nixon, of all people signing in, you know, the EPA into power in 1970, which is crazy. But like this is really the late 60s, early 70s for for the environment. And I thought that that is really another thing I wanted to mention that that has profound impact on where we are, because at least we can go back in sight. Hey, that's a good one. Yeah, you know? I, li- I like that because it's it's recent and it's the the effects are go- are hopefully going in the right direction. That's right. for better. I think. And, it, and if they're holders. not, if they're not, at least we have something from which we can say, hey, that's not consistent with what the mission was. What mission? What are you talking about? Uh, the EPA when it was charged with the, 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 the okay, all right, okay, okay, okay. I don't like that. Now at least I'll fight it. But there's like now no one's gonna be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Now it's like it's a little harder for the abuser to keep abusing. We've at least made an, uh, um, an attempt at building and constructing and enforcing, hey, you got to do the right thing. And if you're not, we're gonna, we there's, have a yeah, way of a fighting system you. in place. Right, right. right.
All right, what do you got? Mine are more for the worse. And the, the first one... Ooh, look at you, uh, Captain for, Pessimism. <laughs> for lots and lots of reasons, uh, the Roman Empire, just in general, the Ooh, fact that it happened. Oh, yes. Because if you think about all that it did, so as it spread, so did Christianity. And, and, and the reason that Christianity dominates in the West is because the Roman Empire took it with it everywhere where it went and conquered. Mm, and mm. and it, it, at first they... Eat what we eat. Believe what we believe. Right. At first they persecuted Christians. But then an emperor became Christian, and so that was that just, well, now I guess we will too. And then as it spread, so, did, so if, it, if that one emperor, Constantine, hadn't converted, then the chances are Christianity, we wouldn't even have heard of it before. Isn't that crazy to think That's of? Insane. I love that about yeah, history. Yeah. Uh, but not, not only that, but then they took the, their legacy of conquering to think about all the empires that were there before World War One, Spain, France, um, Germany... Uh, England. These are all places where the Roman Empire conquered, and so the legacy of that Im- that Im- imperial imperialism and and colonialism we got from that, and then of course that led to World War One. Um, another one that just says my little thing. It's the destruction of the library in Alexandria, Egypt. It was the the greatest yeah. grandest yep, collection yep, yep. of Loss ancient of, knowledge. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, and it, it, it burned many, many times. It's hard to lock down exactly, but the fact is most of that was lost or spread and not in one place. And, and we, there are so many things in the past that we have no idea how people of the past accomplished what they accomplished. The pyramids! And the pyramids, the, the Colosseum, uh, they did that in eight years. Eight years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good luck getting a house built in eight years. I know, it's, age, right? it's, it's insane. Um and and so, I, I, for me, I would just like to have that knowledge, that information, to that link to the past, and and it's all gone. And um, that I think that's just sad. Uh, and then finally, the Treaty of Versailles. So you know, World War One started because of, largely oh, yeah. because yeah. of imperialism and the militarism that they needed to protect that empire. And then weak alliances around this is our area. No, that's your area. Okay, wait now, wait a second. You're coming too close to my area. Oh, and then there's a spark, and boom, there's a war. So then, when that war is over. The, the victors, who are writing the history, mm. decided to, to saddle Germany with all the war guilt. All of it. <laughs> no, no, you wear it. No, no, you wear it. Okay, right. I wear it. And, and that led to just the worst conditions in, in Germany. It was a horrible, miserable place to live, as opposed to now. Right, everybody and their mom is like trying to get to Germany right, right now, right? Yeah, for so, say, for things in the Middle East that uh, is totally there's been no historical precedent. That's never happened before, right? There's right. there's nothing that's going on now that ever happened before. Right? It's totally right. new, right? Right. Yeah. So um, that led, of course, to the rise of Hitler and then to world, making World Who? War II inevitable <laughs> and mass destruction and, and genocide. Is, it's very well chronicled. Yes. Uh, and then that the 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 end of that led to the Cold War, the the two superpower system, and the the arms race, and and just massive amounts of of resources lost, and just destruction and contamination, and a, just a, a deplorable legacy. Which and Americans, then, white Americans, well-to-do Americans, especially in the fifties, didn't have to think about because they were too busy driving their new car. Right. Right. Uh, and, and then that created the military-industrial complex and the structure that then needed something after the fall of communism and uh, enter terrorism to just do the same shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that one's just having massive effects yes. today. And, I mean, they're all tied together but because um, we got our legacy of, of conquest from the Romans as well. We, we share a lot of, of their culture. So th- th- those are mine, uh, for better or for worse. 
uh, the Holy Trinity. And uh, I guess you could say history is alive and not well. <laughs> uh, so what are we going to do about it? Like, okay, okay, we can't change history, or can we? And how do we, how do we uh, get something tangible to do about this to maybe... I don't know. Make it make it a better place, but 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 em- employing uh, history in some capacity. How how does this work? We write it. We take Walt Whitman's advice oh. and and we write our verse in the play. And how do we do that? So number one for me, we we read more books, and I don't mean nonfiction. Although you can get some good historical context from from uh, um, from fiction. I mean, mm. I do mean nonfiction. Oops. Uh, from fiction, you can get some good historical context, but nonfiction is where it's at. So history is imperfect. We weren't there. So any understanding of the past events have to be a combination of puzzle pieces from various fields like the social sciences, history, government, economics, psychology, geography, anthropology, uh, historical literature, uh, and the sciences, physical uh, science, life science, uh, philosophy, religion, more. If you want to understand the world today, you have to gather more pieces and see how they fit together and start putting that puzzle together. Uh, Lao Tse reportedly said, knowing others is intelligence, knowing yourself is true wisdom, Mastering mm. others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. So for my second thing, I would say the best way to master yourself is to truly understand yourself and to look at your own personal history. Uh, if you want to understand yourself and where you might be headed, look back, examine your past, determine what events were key in determining who you are today, for better or for worse, and figure out which parts you want to live with and which ones you want to change. And you won't understand how to change them unless you understand how they got in there. So uh, I would, I would. This is only. I only have two things, and the second is to examine your own, your personal history, and use that to understand yourself and to uh, exert yourself in the system that you're in. All right, number one, cliche yet true, food for thought. Our past does not dictate our future. Maybe it informs, but it does not dictate. And when you lose, don't lose the lesson, or history may repeat itself. A quote from SNL alum A. Whitney Brown, who used to do the big picture when Dennis Miller was was doing the weekend update there. Quote, the past actually happened, but history is only what someone wrote down, which is really good when you start to think about it. It's like, yeah, has stuff happened since time immemorial? Yeah. Well, how do we know? Well, people wrote some stuff. So if people were writing it down, are they going to forget stuff? Are they going to change stuff? Are they going to have bias in there? Yeah, all of that. So it's just interesting. Yeah, the past did happen. This shit, shit happened. It either did or didn't, or it happened this way, regardless of how it was written down. I just love that. It's just like, yeah, it happened. But history is how we wrote it down. Uh, when thinking about history, I would encourage you to focus on the present and look into the future. That's right. What can you do now in the present to affect Project. the future, which is nothing more than the past that is yet to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got Blew deep. I fucking got deep. I need a sip of the coffee here. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, what can you do that moves the needle closer to a better, more just world for all people and planet? When you go to your grave and become part of history, what will others say about you? What will have been your contributions to life? You have no control over how your legacy affects those who come after you, but it's entirely in your control, what your legacy will be. So build it. Build your legacy and build it now. Write your own history of yesterday by planning for tomorrow and seizing the moment today. That's right. Fantastic Uh Okay, so number three, learn your history, right? Like we've been talking about in reading books. Of course, yes. And don't just take someone's word for it. Don't take Jared Diamond's word for it. Don't take our word for it. Don't, don't take Sean's word for it. Do the work. Research, oh God, no. probe, ask questions. 
right? One place where you can do all of this is your local library. We touched on this a couple of times. Libraries, very important. So support your local libraries. They are, after all, the guardians of knowledge and the keepers of history, however skewed or inaccurate, or in some cases, maybe some cases, very close to being accurate. Uh, One way you can show libraries some love is by joining the American Library Association. It's a nonprofit organization that promotes libraries and library education. It's the oldest and largest library association in the world. Their motto is to provide leadership for the development, promotion, and improvement of library and information services, and the profession of librarianship in order to enhance learning and ensure access to information for all. What more can you want? There you go, listeners. Some things you can do. Let's get history working for us, shall we? Uh, Sean, how about a win? I'll take it. Winning. Okay, and speaking about my number three from uh, the Holy Trinity, largely in response to pressure from activists like you, listener, President Obama rejected Keystone XL. Not only did he reject it, he did so acknowledging that, quote, we're going to have to have to keep some fossil fuels in the ground. That's awful. Awful. Jay Farrow, I'm sorry. You're so good at this. Uh, this is a monumental shift from President Obama's and his all-the-above energy strategy. I remember and, that speech. Yes, and it is a monumental victory written by the victors, yeah, history is, uh, <laughs> over an oil industry whose power to imperil all of us in the pursuit of greed has been unchecked for far too long. So President Obama signed the decision But it was grassroots activism and organizing that made it happen. Historic, sustained, relentless, nationwide, diverse, fearless, deeply committed activism of the kind that we haven't seen in a generation. Maybe not since the early 70s when Earth Day became Earth Day. And every day is Earth Day, by the way. But yes, job well done. And what do you know? Uh, That's the show. Get to the site. Uh, check out all the fun things that are going on at the site. Uh, you can you can get those shirts that we're telling you about. I'll put in that promo code mystery right now. It's a two-for-one deal. You don't know what the second one's going to be, and that's no, awesome. Don't. Unknowing is so cool. <laughs> in addition to the website, we're on iTunes, as you know. Hit the subscribe button. We're coming to you twice a month. We got the YouTube channel up. Some stuff continues to be put on there, so check us out. Just uh, put an upside-down trotting for your YouTube search, and you'll uh, you'll see our little humble beginnings of a YouTube uh, channel. But it, but it will grow. God damn it. It will grow. It's growing. It's growing. Slowly. Yeah. And uh, you can mail us too, upside down, trot on 818 Southwest 3rd Avenue, number 292, Portland, Oregon, 97204. Sean, I don't think this was our worst show. As an unabashed uh, history nerd, it was one of my favorites. And I think it's a good one. <laughs> and I, I, I'd probably say that anyway, but it has a special place for me. Yeah, I don't know. We'll just, uh, history will tell. Uh, so the Holy Trinity with a W, think critically, feel deeply, ask questions for what purpose, to what end, and what cost, and in honor of International Creativity Month, which it is. Uh, we'll be asking those very questions during our next show when we discuss ideas. <laughs> Whoa, did, did, uh, do you need a moment it alone? Touched, it touched me in a special place. Uh, all right, well, we better we better get off here. I mean, no, we better uh, we better uh, wrap it up. I, you know what I'm saying. And remember, resistance is fertile. And before we go, here are some words to live by. I am so excited because today, Tuesday, April 28th, 2015, is going to be a day that goes down in history. For Sean Namini, this is Scott Mullins saying, when life gets you down, always remember to look at the upside down trotting. This episode is now history.